going to consider the Christmas story through the lens and the experience of Mary. And again, we're going to be considering today the account of Mary's visit to her cousin, um, her older cousin, Elizabeth, um, which we're going to find in Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 45. But before we read it, let's pray. Father, as we study your word this morning, open our hearts to receive it, uh, to truly embrace it, to receive it with humility, to receive it with openness, to receive it with joy, in order that we can see more of Christ and grow in his likeness. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So take a few minutes. Uh, well, it shouldn't take you that long. But go ahead and read Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 45. Does anybody remember from last week what the angel Gabriel told Mary? As far as Elizabeth? That even Elizabeth, it'll be a sign to you that even Elizabeth in her old age is going to have a child. And so we open up with verse 39 in that. Um, it says, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah and entered Zechariah's house and greeted cousin Elizabeth. So God, in his wisdom, to confirm or to affirm Mary is saying, as a sign to you, even Elizabeth, your cousin, is also with child. So she's on her way to visit her cousin. Um, and so you see how God is just providing this encouragement and this support. And it's in God's plan that Elizabeth's pregnancy was used to be a sign to encourage and strengthen Mary's faith. And, and so through that faith, she became obedient. Um, and it seems that all the encouragement Mary really needed was that. Because as soon as Gabriel left, leaves her home, she seems to have packed her bags and headed for the home of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Because note it says, Luke says, she made her way with haste. Um, wouldn't it be unique 
that when God spoke to us about something, we just sort of made our way with haste instead of saying, well, I got all these other things that I got to take care of before I sort of follow through. But she immediately, that's all she needed from God was this encouragement, and she goes. I recognize that's about 100 miles. And so it's probably a three to four to maybe five-day journey for someone to take. And so it's not a journey that someone would just take lightly. So why does Mary take it? Why does she go? Why does she make that long journey? I've heard messages that the reason she went is because she was pregnant, she wasn't married, she was embarrassed, so she wanted to get out of town. Uh, that really makes no sense. Because if you go on to verse 54, I think it's 54, no, maybe verse 56, it says that after the first trimester, Mary goes back. And so if she really wanted to hide her pregnancy, she would have stayed for the first trimester and then left and gone to see Elizabeth. And so she goes, she goes okay, wait, okay. Dad and Grandpa are talking about me knowing about these things. Um, so she you know, would have gone. And so she goes to see Elizabeth. And I think it has nothing to do with the fact that you know, she's trying to hide anything. She's instead been told that Elizabeth also had a visit from an angel and that she would fully understand. It's really like two Christians coming together to share something that God has revealed to them and they get it. Because you're not going to share something that God revealed to you to somebody who doesn't have a relationship with Christ and to think that they're going to get it. That they're going to understand. And what I find interesting many times is that people who are trying to make a decision based on Christ will go to non-Christians to get their opinion. Instead of saying, wait a second, I need somebody who can guide me with the truth. Somebody who also understands the scripture. Somebody who thinks outside of the box. Somebody who thinks on a basis of faith. Somebody who understands that God is on the move instead of talking to people who don't believe that God even exists. And yet that's what people will do. But not Mary. Mary goes, okay, I need to talk to somebody who understands. Not only is my cousin pregnant, but, you know, she's had a visit from an angel also. Um, again, Elizabeth is six months further along than Mary. Um, and no doubt her older cousin would have wisdom to share guidance to support that would have been an enormous encouragement for a teenager named Mary. And again, you know, think of what she's going through. Alone, in, her, in many respects, a teenager, and God has had this kind of miraculous visitation from God through, through Gabriel, and now she needs to go to make sure that all of this is connected. When she arrives, there's a remarkable outpouring of joy. And Elizabeth pronounces a threefold blessing, a threefold benediction upon Mary. And here in these words that you will see from Mary, you understand what the blessed life looks like. 
And a lot of times we will make statements like, I'm so blessed, and it has everything to do with physical. It has everything to do with the material. It has everything to do that, okay, all my plans are working out to the way I planned them. Oh, we were able to get this. My life is so blessed. But that's not the blessing, and that's not what the blessed life is that we hear in Luke. So first of all, think about the source of blessing. Notice the first words out of Elizabeth's mouth. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, meaning her child. So you are blessed, but blessed is the person that you are carrying. Mary has been chosen to bear the Christ, to be the mother of the Messiah. Um, Mary is blessed. But notice why she is blessed. She's not blessed because of who she is. She's blessed because of who she carries. She's blessed because of who's inside her. Not because she's just blessed, but because Jesus is going to be born and he's living inside of Mary at this time. So she's, her blessing is Jesus, and she is just a reflection of that. September 28th is our anniversary. This last September 28th, out of celebration for our anniversary, I provided a supermoon for Gwen. I don't know if you know what a supermoon is, but a supermoon is when the moon is the closest to the earth, and it's a full moon, and it just, it just lights up the sky. So for her anniversary, I made that happen. Um, <laughs> Well, I, I think I just lost my credibility. <laughs> okay, I was sort of following what he was saying in the sermon, but oh. Um, <laughs> but how beautiful and bright a supermoon is, it's still just a reflection, right? It's still, it's still just reflection. It's the light of the sun, and it's just being reflected. It's not the moon's light that we see. It's the sun's and the moon is reflecting it. So Mary's blessedness that she's talking about here is a reflection of Christ who's living in her. Blessed are you because Christ, the Savior, is inside of you, is living in you. That is always the nature of blessing. A blessed life is a life lived in relation to Jesus. That's the source of all blessing. It doesn't matter what the material life is. It doesn't matter what everything else looks like. Without Christ, you can't have a blessed life because it is Christ that produces the blessed life. Now, on another thought in regards to that, in reflection, everybody knows that if you have a mirror and you want to see a reflection, you have to be pointing the mirror and what you want to see reflected. And so the problem is, is that many people are looking at themselves in the mirror instead of looking at Christ and letting Christ be that reflection. So a blessed life is a Christian whose life is a blessing to others, but it is a blessing because their life is oriented towards Christ. They're turned towards him. 
that they are a reflection, that my life is always angled towards Christ so that his glory can be reflected in me and I can reflect that to others. And when it's not happening, I'm not living a blessed life. I may try to think I'm living a blessed life and I may try to do things in order to find blessings, but that's not really a blessed life. So the question we have to ask ourselves, are our lives constantly turned purposely toward Jesus? Constantly turned towards Jesus so that my life can be a reflection of him living in me. Does he have our attention? Has he captured our hearts? Are we always facing him, seeking him? Are you a blessing to others because you reflect the character and likeness of Christ towards others? Because that's what the blessed life is. So when we had a whole bunch of kids in here, and we had a whole bunch of parents in here, and they're hearing the story of Christ's birth, they're hearing the story in a variety of ways, but not only are they hearing their story, they're talking to different people who are volunteering their time, their talents, to love on these kids, and they're talking to them. They not only hear a story, they see a story. I was picking up the pizzas. That's my big job. I have to get up. I have to make sure that I'm at, you know, Little Caesars at 3 o'clock to pick up those 20 to 30 pizzas, depending on how many people we have here. And I have yet to fail at that job in all the years we've been doing it. I just want you to know. <laughs> so, because I know what a bunch of angry people would be like. Um, but I'm doing it, and, and I'm, the guy who's getting me the pizzas goes, are you having some kind of an event? And I go, yeah, we're doing a Christmas craft day. And we're anticipating about 130 total people, 140, 150 total people there. And we, you know, we allow these kids to make crafts. And we provide the food, we provide the crafts. And then kids can just do that. And he just, that is just so fantastic. And then he reflected, he goes, when I was a kid, I used to go to a church where we did that craft day. And it was one of the most meaningful things that I did. And so I just, you know, he goes, and then he just looked at me and says, I just, he goes, I hope you have a blessed day. A reflection of Christ that a people are doing is what blesses other people. That's what is the real blessing. So, so we see that the blessed life comes from a relationship with Christ. The blessed life, the happy life, a life that is bound up with knowing and seeing, being oriented always toward Jesus himself. So if that is where the blessed life comes from, what does a blessed life look like? What is the character of a blessed life? What does it look like? How does it get played out? And notice how when Elizabeth pronounces this word of blessing, she does it with great humility and with great joy. In a blessed life, there is an element of self-forgetfulness, and a self-forgetfulness that produces a joy, an extraordinary joy. Look at verse 33. Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? 
She is totally, at this point, other-centered. She's recognized that why would the mother of Jesus come to me? And by most accounts, the spotlight really should be on Elizabeth. Because in their culture, having a child to carry on the family name and to maintain the family inheritance was enormously important. And Elizabeth and Zechariah have not been able to have a child. And so their own grief, their own sorrow, their own sadness, their own embarrassment, their own, whatever it may be, and maybe finally their own resolve is that we're not going to have a child. And there'll be nobody to carry on our name, and there'll be nobody to carry on our inheritance. But they've come to terms with that. But out of all of that, all of a sudden, once again, God is on the move. And all of a sudden, Elizabeth is also pregnant. In fact, when Zechariah was first told that this was going to happen, do you know what he did? I mean, do you remember the story? Zechariah laughed, and God says, okay, you're not speaking until he's born. And so he comes out of the temple, and he can't speak. He's making signs. <laughs> like, oh. And so the people recognized that he had seen the glory of God, but they didn't know why you know, until John was born. So by all accounts, this pregnancy of Elizabeth would have just been like a, a, a five on the Richter spiritual earthquake meter because this was just God moving in a miraculous way. And also you have Elizabeth now joining Old Testament saints, Sarah, Rebecca, and Hannah, who were all used by God to bring forth a child that would continue to redeem God's people. When all three of those ladies were used to show that God was still on the move to redeem his people. Sarah bore Isaac to Abraham who would be the heir of the covenant promise. Rebekah bore Jacob to Isaac, who would be given the new name Israel, and fathered 12 sons, who would become the patriarchs of the nation that would bear his name. And Hannah bore Samuel, the great prophet through whom God called a shepherd boy, David, to kingship. So each one of these ladies from the Old Testament was used by God in a significant way to show that he is still on the move, still trying to redeem his people. And then you have Elizabeth. And Elizabeth's experiences shows us that God is still on the move to redeem his people. In fact, she already knows from the angel's words to her husband, back in verse 13 through 17, that her son is going to be great before the Lord. So if you haven't read all of chapter 1 of Luke, Go ahead and read that, and it just sets the stage for everything else that's taking place. So in Old Testament terms, Elizabeth's miraculous pregnancy is significant. But Elizabeth knows that with her young cousin standing in her doorway that day, something was happening that was far greater than anything that she had ever seen, and anything 
that she had ever experienced. Um, she saw that in the child that Mary carried, an entirely new day was dawning and awakening for which there was no precedent. There has never been a child conceived by a virgin before or since. And so you have this taking place. So Elizabeth gladly takes the supporting role before the new thing that God is doing in the life of Mary. So instead of taking front and center, Elizabeth moves to the back and says, no, the light's not on me. The light's on Mary. Because she's the one who's blessed because she is carrying the Savior, the Messiah. Philip Ryken, the current president of Wheaton College, says, John was the greatest prophet of the Old Covenant. He is the one called to announce the coming of the Christ. Jesus was the Christ, the Lord of the New Covenant. So when Mary met Elizabeth, the covenants connected. Both sons were joined under one roof, and like electrical contact between two power stations, the results were explosive. There was a spontaneous outburst of joy. And notice the behavior and joy. Self-forgetfulness. Do you understand how important that is? If you really think about the most happy, joyous moments of your life, and you try to evaluate them, every one of those moments will be a time when you weren't thinking about yourself. Every time you're feeling dejected, depressed, anxious, insecure, any of those, more than likely, those will be times that you will be focusing on yourself. And so real joy comes when we have a sense of self-forgetfulness and instead focus on who Christ is. So Elizabeth steps out of the limelight that the spotlight may fall on Christ. And she does it, notice, with great joy. She is filled with joy and exclaims out loud, for behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. In fact, so filled with joy, as we will see next week, that Mary also burst out in song. So again, the blessed life is a life of self-forgetfulness and a life of joy. Not one that you have to keep on looking for happiness highs. But then also notice in verse 43 and verse 45. She uses the same word to speak about the baby Mary carried as he speaks about the God who made the promises that Mary believed. They use the same word. Not only, you know, the Lord is inside of Mary's baby, in her side of her, but also that's the same Lord that made these promises to Mary that she believed. So God himself has come to redeem the world. No wonder Elizabeth steps out of the limelight in order that all attention might fall on Mary's boy and not on her boy. And think about it. What is John's character? After he's born, what is his character like? He, he does the same thing. He's, he has this self-forgetfulness. To finally point, at one point he says, I must decrease in order that he must increase. So they both 
have that same sense. And what do we learn from that, folks? That each one of us, each one of us, and every other disciple, every follower of Jesus, not just Elizabeth, not just John, but you and me, when we come to understand who Jesus is and why he came, and that the true source of blessing, the happy life, the blessed life, comes from knowing him, it has an effect in our lives where we become self-forgetful. And we say, it's not me that must increase, but it is me that must decrease. And if people continue to see just me, then I'm not an accurate reflection of Christ. And I want my life to be an accurate reflection. I want my life to be a constantly angled towards Christ, that his reflection is seen in me by others. And in our self-forgetfulness, we find joy at last. Because Jesus Christ gets the spotlight, and we found him to be so infinitely, infinitely important that we gladly let all other things of less importance go in order that we may have him. So where do you get real joy? Where do you get real joy? You know, if you watch TV, every commercial sort of tells you they're going to provide joy for you because you deserve it. You deserve this. And if you get this, you buy this, you do this, you will have joy. And I couldn't think of a good illustration of what that looks like for me. But how many here drink water out of a plastic bottle? That's the closest illustration I can come to. So work with me here, folks. <laughs> we drink water out of a plastic bottle for what reason? Because it's pure. Because it's pure. But I mean, eventually we drink water for what reason? To satisfy our thirst. So we're constantly grabbing these bottles to satisfy our thirst. Now, um, Denise, Denise Harrison, she doesn't grab little bottles. She walks around with a gallon because she drinks about a gallon. So, But anyway, we all have these plastic bottles. I was just talking to her last week, yesterday, and she had this monster bottle of water. Um, and so then we have that. But what does Jesus say who he is? He is living water. He is the living water. And in Isaiah chapter 12, we are told... With joy, you shall draw water from the well of salvation. So it's in our salvation, it's in our relationship with Christ, that we can draw this living water. You see, Jesus is the well of salvation. And when you come to drink from him and you begin to enjoy the blessed life he gives, you discover a real joy that lasts. And my point, or my illustration was, is that I think that a lot of us have a lot of plastic bottles all laying down at our feet that we've tried to drink from to get satisfaction. And those, living, those plastic bottles haven't su sufficed. But when we finally drink from the well of salvation, from the well of Jesus Christ, then we're finally satisfied. Um... See, there's a well whose living water never runs dry, for which we can draw water and drink 
to the satisfaction of our soul, Jesus Christ. Where are you drinking? Do you know anything of the joy that never fails? Or are you constantly wrestling with the spirit of discontent that says, I have to find one more thing to make me happy? Instead of saying, you know what? I'm blessed because of Christ. And I'm blessed because he is, I am a reflection of his grace to others. And because I'm blessed, I don't have to make more of me. I can instead focus on more of Jesus. So you'll find yourself becoming self-forgetful and you'll find your deepest joy found in not being made much of, but in making much of him. And that's precisely where Elizabeth found it. It's even where John the Baptist found it. Um, he's already fulfilling the role from which he was sent. He was sent to be the forerunner of Jesus. And so when with joy he leaps inside of Mary, he is always already preaching to us. Philip Ryken again says that John the Baptist is the only child ever to use a womb for a pulpit. That's what he's doing. When he leaves for joy, he's telling us he's preaching a sermon. He's saying, here's where you find joy. Here's where you'll find it. In the child of the virgin and the man of Calvary. In the Lord of glory. You find it in Christ alone. I thought about that a lot. Elizabeth is six months pregnant. Mary is weeks. And yet, John, inside of Elizabeth's wombs, recognizes full life inside of Mary. How a person can say that there is not life inside the womb when a child is conceived is beyond comprehension for me, even from this story. Because if it wasn't life, John would have never acknowledged it. But because it's life, he acknowledges it. And not only does he acknowledge it, it is said as the Savior of the world. So we have the source of blessing, the Lord Jesus, the character of the blessed life, self-forgetful joy. Then finally, the means of joy, where do you get joy like this? How do you get joy like this? How do you get your hands on it? Look at uh, verse 45. And again, she uses a little bit different word for blessing than she used back in 42. Blessed is the one who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So, it says the truly joyful life, the truly happy life, the ultimately blessed life, the life of right standing and the fullness of favor in the sight of God comes when you believe that there would be fulfillment of what God had promised from the beginning. Mary had the promise that she would conceive and have a son and that his name would be Jesus, the Messiah, the Lord's Christ, the Savior of sinners. And, the belie and she believes that promise. And believing the promise, she enters into a blessed life. When we're focusing on what God's not doing, it's not easy to get into the blessed life. 
that when you begin to focus on his promises and say, you know, I don't only fully understand it, and I know it's not fully realized, but I trust the word. I trust his promise. I trust my Savior. That makes a difference. How do you receive the blessedness that comes from the Lord Jesus? Where do you get this life of self-forgetful joy? You get it precisely the same way Mary did. You get it by believing the promise of God, by believing the scripture, by believing the good news that Jesus Christ is all your heart needs. The one who has made full atonement for your sin and guilt, the one who makes you a new creature by grace through faith, the one who brings you into a new family, makes you a child of God who washes you clean. It's believing him. The one whom the one in whom every conceivable spiritual blessing is ours in heavenly places. You get that by trusting him. It's really very simple. It's not that complex. The hand that takes hold of the blessed life is a hand that takes hold by faith. I'm going to hold on to the hand of Christ. You need to do nothing else but trust Jesus Christ and his forgiveness and make him the one you choose to follow. And you let that mirror stop looking back at you but now let it be a reflection of God's glory into your life. Father, I just praise you and thank you for this day.